This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Monday, December 18th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the weekend's box office numbers. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? So Ryan, we just had the weekend of Wonka. Uh, tell me how Wonka performed at the box office this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, can I ask, did you see Wonka? I have not seen it yet. I'm planning, I, I, my holiday break begins this Thursday and I'm planning to do a triple feature on Thursday, which I have not done in, God, I can't even remember the last oh, time. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to go see Wonka, Anyone But You and uh, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom on Thursday. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a, that well, that's an interesting triple. Yeah. <laughs> the new ones. I, uh, yeah, I, um, so I, so I got to go to a screening last week and I, and I, I I'm, like full disclosure, I I don't like musicals at all. Like if anyone has followed me for a while, like that's just not my thing. But me and my girlfriend were like, oh, let's go because there's a new IMAX screen out here. And I got to tell you, I'm just for anyone that because I thought the trailers looked terrible. I wasn't the target market for this, and I ended up liking it. I'm very surprised. But uh, Paul King, the guy who directed the Paddington movies, boy does he know what he's doing. Um, so I'll just awesome. even for someone that had no. Uh, but that sort of actually leads into my point about what's going on with the box office here is that audiences seem to be responding similarly. Um, so the movie made $39 million in its domestic debut, which was above industry expectations a little bit. Uh, but more importantly, it opened about a week or so early overseas, and it has already made over $112 million. So it has already cleared $150 million um, against a $125 million budget. Now, the original budget that I heard was $90 million. I was a little bit like, I kind of winced a little bit when I saw that went up. But mm. um, it's already doing very well. Uh, uh, the cinema score on it is in the A range. It is uh, a very much a family-friendly, like, holiday-type movie. I believe this will be the family choice over the holiday frame. So I think this is going to have long legs, and uh, it's already off to, like, a stellar start. So, um uh, you know, credit to Warner Brothers for pulling this off, even though it sort of seemed like the worst instincts of a franchise play for no reason. Yeah, man, that that's the big thing. I remember seeing some footage from this at CinemaCon like a long time ago. It seems like two years ago now. And uh, when this was first announced, I think everyone was just kind of like, oh my God, like young Wonka, are we seriously doing this? But from everything that I've heard so far, um, I guess, except for Brad, like Brad, I think had some reservations. He was talking about it a little bit on the podcast previously, but I think he's kind of in the minor minority. Honestly, it, it seems like 
um, from what you're saying and, and from a lot of the reaction that I've seen, it's people, people are going into this movie being like, Hey, you know what? It's actually pretty good. Like, you yeah, know, it it's seems a crowd like a terrible pleaser. concept. It's a crowd pleaser. And I think your average person who doesn't like live online is sort of like, Oh, Willy Wonka. Oh, Til- Timothy Chalamet. And they're not going to go into it disappointed, which I think yeah. is more, more important. Like the word of mouth on this, like, like, you know, your mom is going to be like, Oh, what a sweet movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't mean to generalize, but like, that's how you get people to go to movies, yeah. <laughs> which we'll talk about here in a second, but uh, with some other stuff going on, but, but yeah, so I think that um, we were talking about how next year is very barren, particularly the beginning of it. And quite frankly, December was pretty looking kind of rough. Um, but I think Wonka might be the unexpected savior here. Uh, so, uh, you know, as someone who wants uh, to see movies succeed and, who likes the theatrical experience. I'm happy to see that. Excellent. Okay. So what else has been going on sort of in the, in the box office world over the past weekend? Uh, I guess maybe let's just run over the, the top five as quickly as I can. Um, the hunger games, uh, the ballad of songbirds and snakes retained the number two spot. Again, uh, this movie is holding remarkably well for Lionsgate. Uh, and it crossed the 300 million mark worldwide this weekend against a hundred million dollar budget. And, uh, that, that pretty much means, Lionsgate has made what it needs to make. Uh, it will profit for sure. Um, now it's pre- now like we've talked about many times. It's not going to be like the windfall of cash they were maybe hoping for, but this is a solid play for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, good news there. Uh, and then we get into the three and four spots, which are interesting. Which number three was the boy and the heron, which was our number one finisher last week. Uh, dropped sixty percent, which is a lot, but for a Japanese anime, uh, that's still really good. And then uh, Godzilla minus one, the unexpected box office hero of the last handful of weeks uh hold not in the number four spot with only a 43 percent drop and toho has already extended the run again on more screens so it looks like godzilla is probably going to play through christmas at least um nice. and uh just to illustrate how crazy godzilla minus one is at this point it has made almost 35 million dollars domestically at this point which is way more than it has made in japan <laughs> so wow. yeah that is like so godzilla minus one people now, to what I was talking about before, that movie has still had very minimal mainstream advertising. That is purely driven by people being like, yo, this movie is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's that's awesome. Uh, and uh, one of my top movies of the year. So I'm happy to see it. I was going to say, I've, I've seen this pop up on a lot of people's best of. Um, and I don't think that's just recency bias. I think that like truly speaks to the quality of the movie. Um, and I'm curious, Ryan, I, I, I think maybe like right when we come back after New Year's, maybe the day after we come back, I want to try to do uh, a best of um, 2023 podcast with you, just like going over your own personal list, because I know that Slash Film is going to have like a big group list of our best movies of the year um, publishing sometime in the next few days. Um, but I want to do sort of like individual top 10 discussions um, with you and, and a lot of the other uh, contributors to the podcast on on future episodes. So just prepare yourself for that. Got, yeah, I, I have a tough, mine's going to be, because I'd already tweeted about this a little bit because I was putting over, putting together my stuff for our, you know, I was sort of doing my voting for our, our list, which you just teased. And I realized like, man, I'm just, I'm going against so much grain this year, <laughs> like, but that's fine. Like it's my, t- but I was also like, it just reminded me like, man, like it was a good year. Like it was, it was a great year. Yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was one of those years. I think we're going to look back at it and be like, like a lot of us are going to go, damn. You know what I mean? Like, cause it would really like, you know, people look back at 1999 as being like, and it's not even that there's one or two great movies. It's just that you look at everything that came out. And I think this is one of those years where like just so much good stuff came out. And so I, I, and I haven't even caught up with everything yet, but yeah, I, 
I think this is this might be one of those years that we all look back on and go, wow, mm-hmm. you know, like in hindsight. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm very, I'd be happy to talk about that. So tell me about Poor Things, which is another movie that's been popping up on a lot of folks' uh, best of lists near the end of the year here. Um, this is a movie from Yorgos Lanthimos. This is the film that stars Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, how did this one perform, Ryan? Yeah, so this is, as I understand it, a bit of a Frankenstein riff uh, mm-hmm. is what I've sort of heard. And uh, Emma Stone reuniting with uh, Yorgos Lanthimos after uh, The Favorite. Um a slightly more expensive movie. Uh, my understanding is that it uh, is in the 25, 30, 30 million dollar range, something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so this movie cracked the top 10 in just 82 theaters. It made $1.2 million and had a $15.5,000 per screen average. Um uh, which was uh, uh, better. There were a couple of slightly better, but only on like limited, like American fiction rolled out in seven theaters had like a 32,000 uh, average, but this is a stellar uh, expansion um, uh, for poor things, which had already done well in its opening weekend of, I think it was on like four screens or something, but to be able to crack the top 10 and that few screens. Now that probably says more about, where we're at right now uh we'll talk about this in a second but november was abysmal for the industry um you know like renaissance by beyonce hasn't held very well some of these like wish and some of these other movies that were expected to perform are not performing so you're sort of looking at like the top 10s a little bare right now but this bodes well for poor things moving forward i think and and this is one of those movies that like searchlight uh, which is distributing it really needs to perform heading into Oscar season because it was a little expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, this is a good start. Um, very impressive that it was able to do that. Awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some more box office stuff and look a little bit ahead to um, what Warner Brothers is doing over this Christmas season. Okay, Ryan, let's get into it here. Um, one thing that I, I noticed, there was an article at the Hollywood Reporter about how the box office in 2024 might take a $2 billion hit next year amid all of these delays and, you know, these issues that we've been talking about in terms of like what's been affecting the industry over the past year. Um, and so that's the the sort of flashy headline of the box office may, might take a $2 billion hit. But if you actually dig into the article itself, it sort of paints a slightly different picture and maybe maybe that headline is like slightly overblown. So I was curious what your perspective on this was as somebody who pays very, very close attention to the box office stuff. Yeah, I think the key is there that the word May is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Um, But like November, for example, is one of the reasons for pessimism here. Um, We were all but assured to cross $9 billion um, this year, which would have been a huge uptick compared to last year, uh, the $9 billion being the total domestic box office for the year. But because November was so bad, we're now looking to not hit that $9 billion mark. Mm. Um, Yeah, uh, so... um, one of the stats cited in the article, uh, the fall and early winter box office is badly struggling. November revenue was down 43% from the five-year pre-pandemic average, the worst percentage downtick for any month since the pandemic. So it was very bad. Um, that A lot of that had to do with the Marvels, um, Wish, and some of these movies that just didn't hit in November. So, so we're already kind of having like a, a kind of rough end to the year. Uh, and yeah, like there, there, we, as you and I literally, if people want to go back, listen, I think it was a couple episodes ago now with you and I, we, we did a whole preview of the first chunk of the year and particularly the first quarter of 2024 is barren. And that's what a lot of this article talks about where 
you know, I mean, you, you're you're not going to be able to to have nine billion dollar domestic next year when your first quarter of the calendar is a barren wasteland mm-hmm. when you don't have a, a four quadrant tentpole till Dune Part Two in March. You know, like when, so that so that's bad. Yes, we have movies like Mean Girls the Musical and and stuff like that in the early part of the year that could catch on, but you know, it, it's looking rough. So, um, that yes, I think it could potentially take a $2 billion hit, but that's like an, that's like a worst case scenario the way that I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a, this is a little bit, but, and, and look, don't get me wrong. It's okay to present a worst case scenario, but I think it's worth talking about that. Maybe it doesn't have to be that, yeah. um, I guess is sort of the thing. So, um, I don't know how you want to sort of talk about it from there, but that's kind of the, the setting the stage for it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a little bit. I was just wondering if you think that, you know, I guess having a little bit of room from our conversation about, uh, the the one that you alluded to about the first part of next year, if you've thought any more about things that studios might be able to do to sort of, um, soften the blow a little bit, because like you said, I mean, let's make no bones about it. There is a blow coming because of all these delays and stuff. Like it it is, it is not going to be a sunny, outlook for the box office next year. But I think $2 billion, even, you know, in Hollywood Reporter's own estimation within their own article, it, yeah, it presents that as like a worst case scenario. So I was just curious, like in your mind, Ryan, what could a best case scenario, uh, what what kind of actions could studios take to, to um, lean into and, and sort of help transform this into a best case scenario kind of thing. Yeah. So something I proposed a while ago, which is already starting um, is that at the beginning of the year, look, you can't force new product into the marketplace if it doesn't exist. Um, so I think, you know, maybe you can move some things up in the calendar a bit if they're ready to go, but it's challenging to launch a full marketing campaign if you're not ready. So the one thing I was sort of suggesting is re-releases of big movies. And I think you'll get that. Like, Oppenheimer is definitely going to get a re-release ahead of award season to try to get it over a billion worldwide. Uh, Sure. That's not a bad idea, but like one of the things Disney announced is that we're going to get Luca soul and turning red. The three major Pixar movies that were dumped to Disney plus are going to get proper full blown theatrical releases in the first chunk of 2024 Mm -hmm. uh, one month after the other in that first quarter. So I think for one that helps Disney with, having very little product but two that's like a a low risk high reward potential thing for theaters because the one thing that Hollywood reporter article outlines and it has quotes from exhibitors and stuff is is theater owners are nervous they're like hey like we are going to be screwed here like you know what what are you gonna are you guys gonna help us and and so i think that's disney sort of saying all right we're gonna try to do something here so i think other re-releases maybe look at anniversaries coming up other stuff that maybe missed during the pandemic i don't know you know re-releases are a big thing but then i think the other thing is and the other thing they point out much later in the article is that the 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 release calendar gets fuller by the day um saw 11 was formally announced by Lionsgate. that is going to arrive in september around the same time that saw x did this year we're talking about a movie that made oh well over 100 million dollars worldwide so capitalizing quickly on that success is good uh, and then you have uh, Lionsgate announced a White Bird, a Wonder Story uh, for October. And if anyone remembers Wonder, that movie from a handful of years ago, uh, it made more money than you could possibly guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a spinoff to that is not bad. Um, we also had uh, Blumhouse and Universal announcing the Wolfman movie. Um, so I think that there, you're going to see this back half of the calendar getting more full. 
Oh, also the other one, a big one I forgot is you have Back to Black, the Amy Winehouse biopic coming out, and that's going to hit in like May. Mm -hmm. So, and then the other thing I look at here is that like some of these movies, by the time some of these other big movies come out, audiences might be hungry for stuff. So, so I think you might see overperformances maybe from like Deadpool 3, Furiosa, um, and then much later in the year, like the Mufasa, the Lion King or Sonic the Hedgehog 3, some of this stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. so, so I think that that could help. Um, and, and so I, I think a combination of re-releases to get us through that first chunk of the year and overperformance later and, and the calendar continuing to fill out. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we'll just have to like recon, I mean, obviously we're all just sort of like predicting and looking ahead here and and nobody really knows anything as, uh, as the great William Goldman once said about Hollywood, but, um, yeah, we'll have to like reconvene, uh, maybe at this time next year and sort of think about what the 2024, um, you know, the, the total, uh, domestic, or the domestic total looked like and, and sort of um, how studios decided to sort of maneuver around uh, these big holes and stuff that we've talked about here. So yeah. um, I'm curious to see, you know, what, what sort of strategic decisions go into that. But I guess the um, one last thing I would sort of point out, sort of looking at what the next thing we're going to talk about here, but is the, the award season stuff that's going to expand. Uh, so you'll be looking at like stuff that like in January, that's kind of already been out like four things, things like that, but that are now available to more people. Mm-hmm. I think those are other things that maybe just maybe, maybe this is my foolish optimism speaking that like some of those movies can maybe have a chance to break out as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, but anyway, that's another. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the re-release thing and we've talked about that before. Um, but like you were talking about the, the Disney thing of re-releasing the movies that sort of got like quote unquote lost to the pandemic, you know, that released directly to Disney plus. I wonder if, um, other studios might, I I was thinking more along the lines of they'll be doing re-releases for, you know, major anniversaries and stuff like that. But I, I was wondering if they might, if there might be an opportunity to re-release, you know, something like Tenet back in theaters, which like made some money during the pandemic, but a lot of people were still not ready to go back to theaters, you know, at, at that time. So a lot of people missed that experience. I wonder, wonder if there might be like a way to, do, to sort of like redo some of those big pandemic uh, releases um, now that, you know, it, it's relatively safer or whatever. Ten, Tenet's a great idea. Tenet's a great idea. But, but I think the thing is you, that was sort of one of those weird bitter points between Nolan and Warner Brothers. Like, could they figure it out, you know, like to, yeah. to, to sort of, uh, but I think Tenet's a great idea. And yeah. And that's one of those, like, you know, and I don't know, I mean, I, I, I would look at something maybe even like the suicide squad that sort of got buried or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know about wonder woman 1984 because the reception to it wasn't super great, but people really like the suicide squad. So that's one that I would maybe look at, but, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, the, another good idea for sure. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of DC, uh, let's talk a little bit about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which is Warner Brothers big uh, blockbuster play here as they go into the end of the year. This is the last movie in the DC extended universe, the so-called DC extended universe before Superman legacy comes around in 2025 and reboots the whole thing under James Gunn and Peter Safran's new vision. Um, Ryan, you wrote an article called the 10 biggest box office flops and disappointments of 2023 ranked. I'm going to link to that in the show notes, and I'm not going to give away where this falls on the list, but one of the entries, one of the 10, is the DC Universe, just because of how poorly it performed. Like, the the three movies that they released uh, in 2023 so far uh, performed at the box office. So what is the outlook for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom? I know, you know, the first movie obviously performed very, very well, made over a billion dollars, kind of like uh, surprised everybody, I think, by how well that movie performed i believe it's still the highest grossing dceu movie ever no no uh, it is the highest grossing dc movie of any kind ever 
Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, sorry. I just want to be clear about that. That like people, I, I, I think that's one of those things that still surprises people when you say that out loud. Like more than the Dark Knight, more than the Dark Knight Rises, more than Joker, more than like it is the highest grossing DC movie ever made. Um, and and so. Yeah, like, like one thing you and I had to talk about when I was putting together that list, I'm like, look, man, I don't know which one of these DC movies to sort of pick on, like, because that didn't <laughs> feel fair. Well, and like, but I don't want to seem like I'm picking on anything, but like DC had a really bad year. Yeah, it and was like, like historic. So let's not, like, again, I want these movies to succeed. And let me be clear, like, I liked The Flash. I like I liked Blue Beetle. Yeah, these I did not too. Movies, these are not movies I'm picking on. Like, so, uh, but let's just go over some quick numbers to tee up how what we're looking at with Aquaman. Shazam Fury of the Gods made 133 million against a 125 million dollar budget. You could make an argument that is one of the biggest superhero flops of all time. Is that worldwide? That is worldwide. 133 wow. million. Yeah, and against for a movie people loved the first Shazam. So like, you know, disappointing on a million different levels. And again, like you could make an argument if I, I wrote an article about this, you can look over like, what are some of the biggest superhero flops ever? This is right up there. Um, you know, and then so you look at uh, the Flash did not do much better. 270 million worldwide against a 200 million dollar budget. Um, quite a bit more worldwide, but not at all what you're looking for against an investment of that size, particularly when there was so much hype leading up to it. And then you had Blue Beetle, which only made 129 million worldwide against a hundred million dollar budget. Now that one, I will give the caveat that that was originally supposed to go directly to HBO Max, which is now just called Max. So you could make the argument that any box office is better than no box office, uh, but not at all what Warner Brothers wanted, particularly from a movie that was supposed to kind of start a new franchise that could potentially be folded into this new DC universe. Um, so. I mean, you want to talk about how much Warner Brothers lost on those three movies? It's a fortune that I can't even begin to calculate. Yeah, um, and we talk a lot about like the you know superhero fatigue and how this was the year I think where audiences really started to to show their lack of interest in a lot of these big titles. And it's not just you know Marvel Studios takes a lot up it takes up a lot of the cultural conversation because they've been the dominant force for a long time. And and the fact that the Marvels came out and is like you know, on, on par to be the worst uh, performing Marvel Studios movie of all time certainly helps contribute to that. But like, we don't, we shouldn't forget about DC's year here because they, you know, the, it's all sort of building in combination with each other um, yeah. or, or falling in com combination well, right. with and each it, other. And, it's, and, and again, this goes to the larger point here is that it's worth pointing out that the only outright successful live action superhero movie this year was Guardians of the Galaxy 3. That's it. Every other live action superhero movie disappointed this year. Mm -hmm. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, it didn't, I, I would hesitate to call it like an outright full-blown flop because I think Marvel is really good at generating downstream revenue, but that was a big disappointment for sure. And the Marvels, yeah, real bad, like no need. Yeah. But so point being, I'm not just picking on DC. Right. All of this to say that weirdly enough, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is feeling like a bit of an underdog here. Um, you know, despite being a sequel to the highest grossing DC movie of all time. Uh, so right now the movie Hollywood Reporter has it tracking between 40 and 50 million on opening weekend, whereas Box Office Pro is much more pessimistic, uh, looking at taking in between 29 and 38 million dollars on opening weekend. Uh, the movie opens December 22nd. It has the benefit of Monday being Christmas, so it gets like a four day holiday weekend. Um, you know, and then obviously you lead into New Year's and it's a very lucrative frame, potentially. This is right around the time the first Aquaman opened. But 
Uh, you know, obviously that's just domestic numbers. Uh, the first movie performed incredibly well overseas, uh, ultimately getting to $1.15 billion. Uh, the original opened to $67 million uh, domestically and eventually, uh, you know, um, made a, a grip in, in uh, North America. So, you know, it's possible this one could leg out. Uh, but another thing that's worth uh, pointing out is that the original Aquaman made almost $300 million in China. And pre-sales are currently lagging behind even the Flash in China right now. Uh -oh. So, so there is a gigantic chunk of money that you can't really count on. Um, now, this movie does not need to make a billion dollars to be successful, but it does have a reported two hundred and fifty million dollar budget. So, I would say probably anything under six hundred million worldwide, and and you're going to have to look at that as a disappointment. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of where the numbers sit right now. Uh, feel free to ask any questions or point us in any direction, but that's kind of what we're looking at. Well, I was just curious what you think about how the movie, you know, whether you take the uh, the the high or the low on the estimations and, and sort of predictions and stuff. Because to me, it just seems like this movie has no juice. It has no buzz. There's no conversation about it right now in, in my little bubble. And that's obviously not indicative of, of the world and whatever. But like, you know, combining that with, all of the stuff that we just talked about and like looking at the Marvels even as being a sequel to a movie that made a billion dollars. Like just because the first movie performed well doesn't mean that, you know, it, it's as automatic as maybe it once used to be in the industry or whatever. So I was just curious if you thought it was going to be like, you know, opening in the twenties or opening in the forties or fifties. Like what, what do you think just based on, you know, what you've seen so far? I can't, I just can't see it being a, the Marvels level um, flop. Uh, but but I also, I mean, look, looking at everything that's before me, it's hard for me to have a lot of optimism about it. Like like yeah. like I I mean I trust James Wan, but I also like it feels like the press is very minimal. Like Jason Momoa is doing a handful of talk shows, but that's really it. Like it, uh, James Wan is he doesn't sound like super enthusiastic in his interviews. Like even Jason Momoa has been outright a little pessimistic. Like someone was like you know asking him about his potential future as Aquaman, and he's like, it's not looking good. You know, like, like, just yeah. like, he, you know, so I, 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 you know, and I think the other thing, and look, this doesn't, your average viewer may not care as much, but there's a certain percentage of viewers that know, like, this is the end of this current iteration of the DC universe. So there is that narrative that maybe the movie doesn't feel super important. Yeah. Um, you know, so that that's going to affect a percentage of viewers. I, I, I think it's important that this movie, you know, it had a big showing overseas, but so, so again, I think maybe it, it does better than the other DC movies this year, but I don't know that it makes what it needs to make to, to become an outright success. Um, okay. And then I think my concern is, is this DC reboot happening too late? Like, are they, are they gonna, like, are people even gonna care when, when that comes around, like, are we just, have we just completely missed the window? I, I don't know. That might be a bit grandiose at this point. I think what might help is next year, there's not a single DC movie on the calendar. So that might sort of give audiences. Isn't, uh, isn't Joker 2 coming out next year? Uh, oh, is that next year? That's right. That's, 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 in, uh, but, but, uh, okay. Let's say not like a single connected universe thing, right? Yeah, like yeah. we're talking, yeah. So, um. But even then, that's just one, right? And then you only have one major Marvel movie. So next year's pretty devoid of uh, superhero movies. And those are sequels to movies people very much liked. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, so I think that sets up Superman Legacy to maybe 
but yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's hard for me to be anything but a little pessimistic about this right now. Yeah. And and I don't want to be. Like I I I I want these things. I don't want any movie that is not like harmful to humanity to to not succeed. But mm-hmm. but I think the numbers before uh, my biggest concern is that this then leaves theaters in December sort of screwed heading into what's already going to be a bad beginning of next year. Uh, and I guess that can lead into the next thing we'd like to talk about, but that's sort of my bigger concern. Well, yeah, I was just wondering about this because Warner brothers has three movies coming out in a 10 day period. They have Wonka, Aquaman and the lost kingdom and the color purple, the big uh, musical reimagining of the Spielberg movie. And I was just wondering, like I, I, it's been a while and I don't pay as close a, attention to this stuff as you do ryan but like it it seems like it's been a while since a studio one studio has opened three movies essentially against each other at the same time and i was just wondering if you thought that was a smart business strategy like you know i know that uh you said the the christmas season and heading into new year's is like a potentially lucrative frame so maybe it is a smart strategy just just sort of like load up this period and like you'll get a bunch of people going out to the movies and it's kind of a shotgun approach. And like, hopefully, you know, the odds are people will go see one of your movies and you'll make some money over this period. But I do wonder what you think about the idea of one studio dropping three movies in such a short time uh, span, a span I, like that. I'd have to look over, but I feel like Disney, because you got to remember Disney's got 20th century studios, searchlight pictures. Disney has multiple outlets now. So, but uh, here's what I'll say is the one thing I talk about a lot is counter-programming. And I think the power of counter-programming is a little underutilized uh, in the pandemic era. There's no reason you can't counter-program against yourself. Um, and I, and I also think like, so Wonka has just enough distance from the color purple where like your musical crowd that might cross over there, just enough distance. But I also think those are two different enough musicals that you're not really going for the exact same crowd. Mm -hmm. And obviously Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is going for a very different crowd than both of those. And I think like Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is going to play better overseas than color purple will. I think I would guess. So you're sort of, you know, and then you have that 10 day span where these things kind of roll out. So now Here's what I pose to you. Uh, you take those three movies off the calendar and you tell me how this two, last two weeks of the year looks without those movies. It is a barren wasteland mm-hmm. of like nothing there to save. So David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, gets a ton of right, rightful crap. You can't say the guy's not committed to theatrical and Warner Brothers is doing their part. Like, I will say that. Like mm-hmm. they are doing their part to be like, we are giving theaters something and we're trying, we have three very different movies to try and bring people out. And so I would, I would say Warner brothers is owed some credit for that. Um, and, and I do think it's not initially a terrible strategy given the three movies that they're releasing. So that's, that's my sort of take on it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, I did not really think about Disney and like the, the long arm of Disney and how many, you know, the, the big umbrella, so to speak of like all the things that they've sort of sucked into their empire because yeah, of course they've probably <laughs> done this kind of thing where they've released uh, maybe even more than three movies in, in a 10 day period. Before. Yeah. But uh, the one um, last thing I'll point out is on December 22nd, where you have Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, and then you have the Iron Claw coming out and then Migration, which is the new um, Illumination animated movie. Uh, one thing that I worry is going to get lost in the flow is American fiction. I believe I've mentioned this movie on the podcast, but it stars Jeffrey Wright. Um, uh, it is a 
one of my very favorite movies of the year. It goes into expansion. Please do not ignore American fiction. If you're heading to the theaters uh, with your family over Christmas, please, please don't, don't sleep on this movie. Okay, excellent. Full-throated recommendation for American fiction there. This is the movie from, uh, I believe it's the directorial, the feature directorial debut of Cord Jefferson, who's it a is. writer on, um, he was he wrote on like The Good Place and Watchmen and like a, a bunch of great TV shows over the past several years. Uh, and so he's, yeah, making his his jump to the big screen um, behind the camera. And it's a, he wrote the movie as well. It's a really, really exciting debut from him. So uh, American fiction, seek that out. Certainly, I, I agree. Um, okay, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. Oh, also, in case anybody cares about this, regular listeners who listen to the show every day or whatever, I mentioned at the top of the show that my um, sort of year-end vacation starts on uh, this Thursday. But um, we're we're going to have a podcast on Friday and then every day next week except for Christmas Day. Um, so I, I've banked a bunch of stuff in advance, so I'm not going to be leaving you guys hanging over the holiday season. So we, we may or may not have an episode on Thursday itself, uh, this Thursday. Um, but, uh, the feed is not going to go dark, you know, from, from Thursday until the end of the year or, or the beginning of next year anyway. So I just wanted to throw that out there to people. So, uh, yes, you can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.